I was looking at a little book uh, I have at home, and it, I saw a thing, an article caught, caught my eye, and it said that there was a group of German psychologists and insurance companies worked in a project about the secrets of living a long life, and they discovered something that will, I'm sure, be news to you. They discovered that men, ladies, pluck up your ears here, okay, that men who kiss their wives before they leave to go to work in the morning have fewer accidents on the way to work than men who don't kiss their wives. Uh, They also discovered that uh, men who kiss their wives in the morning before they leave the house have fewer days off work sick. And they discovered a whole lot of other things. But the next thing they discovered that I thought was worth mentioning was that Men who kiss their wives in the morning live about five years longer on average than men who don't, men who are stingy with their kisses in the morning. So guys, if you want to add five years to your life, kiss your wife before you leave home in the morning. And then the bottom line of all of that is quite simply, kissing is healthy. Yes. Now, I want to ask you to do something different this morning. Now, I'm not going to ask you. Some of you are saying, oh, no, don't tell me. He's going to ask me to kiss that person next to me. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and some of the rest of you are saying, yes. <laughs> you just knew this was a good morning to come to church, didn't you? But I'm not going to ask you to do that. Um, but when I read that article, I immediately thought about the verse in, uh, that Paul writing to the church in Corinth said that, you should greet one another with a holy kiss. Do you know that verse? I never heard anybody preaching from it. I think it would be really interesting. But I remember when I was in seminary a, a long time ago in Scotland, uh, we were in one of those question-answer uh, periods after a lecture, and one of my colleague students asked the, the professor, excuse me, can you tell me what the difference is between a holy kiss and a regular kiss? And he looked thoughtful for a moment and said, uh, difference between a holy kiss and a regular kiss. I would say that it's probably about three minutes. <laughs> so if I ask you to kiss your neighbor with a holy kiss, remember you've got two seconds and that's it. But I ain't going to do that. I don't want to embarrass any of you and, and do anything like that. Apart from that, I'd be afraid of what Michael might do to me next week when he comes back and tell me I had you all snacking one another in here and kissing one another. He might enjoy it. It might be mad that he missed it. But anyway, what I do want you to do is I want you to stand for a minute. If you're physically able to stand, why don't you stand with me? And while I'm walking about here, sorry up the stairs there, but I don't know how to stand still when I'm preaching. And they've got blue lines on this stage here. And if I go outside of that line, they say, you can't see me. If I forget, just forgive me. You'll hear my voice. You'll know I'm still here. Okay. In Scotland, we are very boring and very, very proper and all of that kind of thing. And we shake hands with people. Uh, But when I came to America and saw you high five, and I thought that's a whole lot more exciting than just shaking hands with people. So I want you to turn to the person on your left or your right or whatever. I want you to high five them and say to each other, God is good. Go on, high five as many people around you and say, God is good. God is good. God 
is good. Good, thank you. Yes. Did you high-five the person behind you? Everybody turn around and high-five the person behind you. Na-na-na-na-na-na. <laughs> I got you. Even some of the people in the back row went like that. Okay, you've had your fun. Can I have the verse up on the screen for me, please? Okay, I want you, while you're still on your feet, to repeat. Oh, you're okay if you've sat down, just stay there. It's okay. I want you to say this verse with me because this is a center text. I'm so glad that the worship group has led us the way they did. That last song was perfect. He gives us peace in the midst of the storm. Here's a verse that goes with that. Okay, the first verse, they read it in the drama thing. Read it with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, thank you. Be seated. As far as I know, this is just water, okay? All right. God has a purpose for us. According to God's purpose. God is real and he has something in mind for you and me. But we need to learn his ways so that we can walk in his ways and live the lives that he intended for us. I want to take you back to the beginning of time to see something about God's purpose. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I made a couple of comments as we read through it, but here's what it says. Now, the serpent was more crafty than all of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? I want you to remember that. The serpent said to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, there's the first lie that the serpent made. God never said that. He said you're not to eat from any tree. So he's beginning to put thoughts into the the, the head of Eve. Did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, ah, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of garden. And then, because you see, she started a conversation with the serpent. Whether the serpent's real or whether it was a snake that could speak or whether it was Satan that was there, but the Bible describes it as a serpent. If it wasn't Satan, then it was Satan's messenger. And he puts in this lie, you mustn't eat of any tree. And the woman answered, no, no, we must eat. We can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And then she added something God never told her. And said, and he told us we can't even touch it. You'll search Scripture high and low, and you will not find that recorded in Scripture. God didn't tell them they couldn't touch it. He just told them they couldn't eat it. And if they ate it, 
they would die. And so the serpent says, ha, ha, come on, you don't believe that. You, you will not surely die. And so he starts to put false thoughts into the mind of Eve. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What a thought, what a temptation. Can I really be like God? Can I be as powerful as God? Can I be here, there, everywhere at the same time? You will be like God, he said. And so the woman is having a conversation with the serpent. And verse 6 says that when a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And verse 7, here comes the consequences. Their eyes were opened. To that time they were protected, but their eyes were opened for both of them and they realized that they were naked. Why did they realize they were naked? They had been like that from the beginning of their time. God had made them. God created them. He took a pile of dust and breathed his breath in and it became a living being and it was Adam. And then he made Eve from Adam and none of them had clothes on and it was okay. And God was okay with that. And they realized suddenly that they were naked and they hid from the Lord God. God came to walk in the garden with them like he usually did, walk with them and talk with them and have a good time with them and have fellowship and community with them. And God came walking in the garden and they heard him. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden but the Lord God called out to man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. What was he afraid from? God knew he was naked. God knew it was okay. They were husband and wife together, Adam and Eve. He said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. And then God, to the soul, God said to them, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Who told you there was a problem with you being naked? There's not been a problem since the day I made you. Why is it a problem now? Who told you you were naked? I want you to remember those two phrases. Did God really say? And who told you that? When Adam was made by God, God made him in his own image. And whatever else that may have meant, I don't know that I know all of it. I only know a tiny little bit of it. But when God made Adam in his own image, it meant this, that Adam could live without ever dying. Death was no part of God's creation. Adam could live without dying. That means he could have lived forever. Adam could have lived without ever being sick. Sickness was no part of God's creation. Adam could live without ever sinning. What a thought. He could have lived without sinning. Adam had the ability to make his own decisions. God made him like himself. God can do whatever he wants. He can choose to do whatever he wants. He will only ever do good. And he made Adam the same way. He could choose whatever he wanted to do. See, no one else in, the, in history has ever been like Adam. He was a one-of. He was a unique being. And God's purpose for Adam was this. God's purpose was for Adam to
to be perfect. Perfect. So, why did God put that tree in the middle of the garden? Ooh, I bet you wish I could tell you the answer to that, huh? But I don't know. What was a serpent? How could a serpent talk? I don't know. All I know is that that's the way it was. I don't know why. I just know that the snake was very cunning, very clever, very crafty. It could have crashed into Eve and said, look, forget all about this God thing. Ignore him. But he knew that wouldn't work with Eve because Eve had walked with God in the garden. And so he came about getting a hold of Eve in a very subtle, crafty way. And so instead, he shaped his attack in the form of a question. And he said to Eve, did God really say that? Did God really say that? One of the things I get now is very thirsty. You'll see me doing this a lot, okay? Do you ever have questions about God? I mean, when you're having a hard time, do you ever have questions? When you're going through a tough time, like I said, the group just thank you as he gives us peace in the midst of the storm. Any of you ever been in a storm? I don't mean waves and winds and that. Any of you ever been in a storm emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually? Any of you ever been in that place where you don't know what's right and what's wrong and you're getting kind of angry because of it all? And the devil comes up to you when you're at that stage and he'll say, did God really say? Just exactly the same way he said, to Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say that he cares for you? Does he really care for you? Does God really love you in this situation you're in? How can you know that God loves you? He's abandoned you. Does God really love you? Why bother with all this stuff the Bible says? The Bible just is a spoiled sport. It tells you you can't do all the things that you really want to do. Did God really say you can't do that? Who told you that? I'm going to walk on a very narrow line here. I'm going to say that you ladies, single ladies, if you're involved with a guy who pulls you away from the things of God, if you're involved with a guy that's making you have questions about God, if you're the other way around, if you're a guy with a girlfriend and she is making you kind of wander away from the things of God, you need to look at it. If you, any of you single or otherwise are involved with things that take you away from the purposes of God, make you less than what God intended you to be, you, can I be really bold here and say, you need to dump them. You need to dump them. Don't let the snake 
deceive you. If there's one critter on this planet that I don't like, it's a snake. Especially this kind of snake because he worms his way into my brain so often and says, are you really sure that God loves you? <laughs> With all the stuff that's going on in your life, do you really think that God loves you? I hate snakes like that. But there's another question in this story in Genesis 3. It's in verse 23. Adam is in hiding and God comes back and says, where are you? And Adam says, we're hiding because we're naked. And God said, who told you that? Who told you there's something wrong with you? Who told you that you're imperfect? Who told you that you had to hide from me? Who told you to do that? Whatever you think of nakedness now, it was okay back then because there was only God and Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve were husband and wife, and it was okay. God walked with them. He made them that way. He took a bunch of dust from the ground and formed it together and went, and it became a living being, and it had no clothes on. God knows that they were naked, and he made Eve out of Adam, and God knew that she was naked, and it didn't bother him, and suddenly it's a problem. Who told you, Adam? Who told you you were naked? You've been talking to that serpent again, haven't you? Make sure you understand me here, okay? Uh, I'm not making a case for you to go home and run about your neighborhood naked, okay? <laughs> I am not doing that. If the police come and pick you up because you're naked, don't tell them that the preacher at Spring Branch said it was okay. Because if they come for me, I'll tell them it was Michael. See, the result of all of that is quite simply this. You and I can no longer have a relationship with God the way God intended it to be. You know that, don't you? We no longer can have that relationship the way Adam and Eve had. We cannot live without sinning. It's part of us. We're imperfect. Any of you perfect? If you're perfect, raise your hand. Somebody take him out and beat him up, will you? It reminds me of the story of the pastor who said that to a congregation. If any of you are perfect, why don't you stand up? And this middle-aged gentleman for about four or five rows back stood up. Sorry, I'm in the dark again. He stood up and the pastor was aghast and he said, Sir, are you saying that you are perfect? And he said, no, sir, I'm standing on behalf of my wife's first husband. <laughs> we could no, be, no longer be perfect the way God intended us to be, but he still loves us. Isn't that amazing? He still loves us and he still has a purpose for us. Now that takes me to the second thing I want to do. How do we know God today? Adam and Eve knew God because they walked with him in the garden. How can we know God? How can we have a relationship? He still wants to walk with us. 
in a different way. He still wants to smell the flowers in the garden, but how can that happen? Well, it's entirely on his term. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, without faith, it is very hard to please God. Huh? Somebody said, sorry, louder, I'm deaf. It's impossible, yes. See, there's a little bit of Satan in that. Some people think it's okay to, if you're oh, very good. Some people think they can please God sufficiently with the way they live their lives, but the problem is they're less than perfect. And the Bible says we can't know God by trying to do the best we can because the best we can is not good enough any longer. The Bible says there's only one way that we can know God and have a relationship with him, and that is by faith. Faith is the persuasion of the heart that God is real, that God made us, that God has a way for us to have a life with him, to have a relationship with him through faith and the fact that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And when we trust everything to him, he takes our sin away and we can have a relationship with him based entirely on the persuasion of our heart that God loves us and has provided for us. You need to know that when God created this world, he didn't form a committee. He didn't ask anybody's permission. He just spoke everything into being. And suddenly there was all of this stuff that we see today. And you heard about Adam and Eve and the Eve, and they had all of that stuff, but they wanted to do it their own way. They wanted to try and hijack the planet and go their own way direction and nothing has ever been the same since that terrible day, never since then. I read another article recently that, that told about an alligator pit in a zoo somewhere in Texas. There's a water pond in it there and surrounded by concrete and stuff. And as you stand and look in it, you'll see coins scattered all over the concrete round right about the pit. <laughs> Now, there are other displays there, other pits there with water in it and animals there, but there are no coins in it. What makes the difference between the alligator pit and the others? Simply this. There's a huge sign this big, and it says, do not throw coins into the alligator pit. That's the difference. And so when people say it, they say, yeah, sure. And what's the reason for it? Quite simply this. The material that's in those coins, the size of your thumbnail, there is something in that that if the alligator swallows it and digests it, it will kill it. Can you imagine a tiny little thing that size killing this great big alligator? But people, when they see the sign, they just have to throw coins in. When you see a sign that says, don't do it, it brings out the worst in us. How many of you got a ticket for speeding? Oh, there's that smart Alec that told me earlier. Yeah, yes. I'm glad at least you're honest. How many have got a ticket for breaking through a red light? Oh, oh man. I'm sure there's an answer to that, but I won't bother looking for it. 
it's built into us and it's all happened way back in the Genesis garden event. When it happened to Adam, it fell its way down through the ages to you and me. And now when we see something, the speed limit is 55 on the highway. How many of you drive at 55? There's some bold person or a liar up the back there says he does it. Sir, I'm proud of you, okay? I don't. (laughs) See, in Scotland, if the speed limit is 55, if I do 58, I'm okay. If I do 59, I'm in jail. Here, they will allow you up to 10, but sometimes you go on the highway, 55, and you clock it up to 65. Now, somebody comes down at that outside lane and goes, and they're just trying to see how fast their car can really go. They're not interested. And it's the same for us. It's the same principle. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about uh, uh, alligator pits or trees, fruit in a tree. I'm talking about that inbuilt thing that makes us do what we're not supposed to do. We're all, there's nobody, you've already told me, apart from this guy here who's perfect, nobody else has done that. They all know what's forbidden fruit. And yet God still wants us to have a relationship. Isn't that amazing? We break his rules day in and day out, and God still loves us. Isn't that amazing? You know, when Adam and Eve did wrong, what they did in the Garden of Eden, God could have zapped them and killed them, stone dead just like that. But he didn't. He loved them. And because they were bothered about being naked, he brought them some skins and they said, okay, wear that and hide your embarrassment. I still love you. If God didn't love you and you and you and you and you and you, Would he have sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary for your sin? Would he have done that if he didn't love you? God still loves us in spite of us. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do you want to be real friends of God? Do you want to have a real, living, vibrant relationship with God? It has to happen through faith. And if you don't know what that's about, There'll be some people here at the end of the service. It's our prayer team, and they will help you to understand that if you want to be prayed about for some of the other things that's going on in your life, be here as soon as the service starts. So we looked at the beginning. We looked at how do we know God today through faith. Then we need to look at, before we finish at doing things God's way. Doing things God's way. Let me share some things with you from my own life. When I was just 10, my father died. He didn't die in his bed. He died crushed in a train accident, crushed to death, just like that. My mother at that time was in her middle to late 40s. My father and she had a good relationship. They had six kids. <laughs> and two brothers, two sons, three daughters, and then the runt of the litter, me. 
my mother and father were both Christians. My father did a tiny little bit of preaching. Maybe that's why I ended up doing this. My mother and father were both Christians. My two brothers were both Christians. They are with God today. My three sisters are all good Christians. Ooh, if you're a seeker, let me tell you what the Bible says. It says born again. It means receiving forgiveness and a new life from God. They're all saved people. And then there's me. We all lost our father. I was 10 years old when it happened. Has God worked in all of that to bring good out of it for me? I should say so. In 1996, 17 years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I don't want to ask you if any of you have had cancer or still have it or did have it. There probably is somebody else here who's fighting the same thing. It is scary. Scary, scary. Has God worked? good in my life. For we know that then what? All things. Has God worked good in my life since then? I should say so. In spite of the fact that I've been stupid and just downright disobedient from time to time, has God given up in me? No, he hasn't because he knows in the bottom of the reaches of my heart, I still love him and I don't want to be without him. So he hasn't given up in me. Five months ago, on the 30th of March, five months ago, my birthday, I was driving up to spend the weekend on my birthday, uh, to spend uh, the weekend with my son and his wife and uh, their daughter. And by the way, if any of you looked at my Facebook page, you'll see that Becca just gave birth to a baby girl, something like two and a half months premature, one pound, 14 ounces, about half an inch bigger than my shoe. And the news is that she's doing well. If you care, if you care, you can pray for them for me. But I was driving up to spend the weekend with them and celebrate, and somewhere between here and there, I got the understanding, the notion that my head was kind of fuzzy. I mean, fuzzy, I'm always fuzzy. I know you, you, those who know me know that I'm fuzzy, but it was a different kind of fuzzy. And after a little while, my left hand kept falling off the steering wheel, and I started to complain that it was bad design because the armrest on the door, if I had my elbow on that, I couldn't reach the steering wheel. And so I had a hold of the steering wheel because that's what it says you're supposed to drive with two hands. And my hand kept falling off the steering wheel. And I thought, what's going on with me? It only took a little time after that to my, till my speech got slurred. I said to the person who was with me, you need to drive. I got into the passenger seat and I called back to my doctor in Virginia Beach. I spoke to the nurse and she said, let me talk to the doctor. I'll call you back, Mr. King. Five minutes later, she called me back. And she said, you need to get to a hospital as fast as you can. So I finished the drive to my son's 
in Virginia and uh, sorry in Pennsylvania, Mannheim, if you know where that is. Then they took me to Lancaster General Hospital. Uh, great, fant- I can't say enough about them. They were so slick and so smart. They had me in a bed within 20 minutes. But then things just got worse from there. They did all the usual stuff. They stuck needles in me and they put tubes in me and they did all sorts of prodding and probing and asked me a million questions. And then they sent me to have an MRI. And when I got back from the MRI, they gave me the result. They said, Mr. King, you've had a stroke. It was a mild stroke. Some of you in here have had strokes that are worse than mine. But it was a stroke just the same. I couldn't stand like this then. I would fall if I tried to stand up. And then things just got worse from there. Within four weeks, I was in four different hospitals in four different cities. I think maybe... I could have been forgiven for thinking that it was a tough month. Happy birthday to you. What a birthday present. I could have been forgiven for thinking it was a tough month with all of that going on. And I could have said, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? I'm a good guy. I go to church every week. Not only that, it's Spring Branch. You know Michael Simone's church? I thought maybe that would get me some kind of extra credit. And I could have said stuff like that. I said, this is not supposed to happen to me. Hmm. Now let me make sure you understand some things. <clears throat> you go for a drink again. Let me make sure you understand. My stroke has affected my thought, my throat. My voice is not as strong as it used to be. I used to be able to shout so loud, you would have been wanting to get out of here as fast as possible. But I can't do that any longer. Then I get very dry when I'm speaking. But let me tell you about this. Let me make sure you understand God's activity in all of this. And some of you have been here, and if not the same exact exactly the same circumstances as me. You've had your own circumstances. Let me say this. God did not kill my father. God did not cause my cancer. God did not cause me to have a stroke. But he did allow it. And it's easy when you're going through things like that. How many, how many are you in a storm right now? Uh, do you have the courage to say, I am having stuff going on. I like you. Talk to me later. <laughs> yes. And there are more of you who are having a struggle and you just don't want to put up your hand. And that's okay. That's Okay. And some of you may have reached, and I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand here. Some of you have reached the stage where you're thinking, does God really love me? 
Yes. Have you been there? Have you been there where you've gone through such things and you're saying, does God really love me? I don't think God cares for me any longer. And those thoughts are going through. Why is he letting this happen to me? He can't love me anymore. And I have a question for you. Who told you that? You remember? When the questions came, God said, who told you that? Who told you that you're no use any longer? Who told you that you can never be happy again? Who told you that you can never be forgotten for the things that you've done in your life? Who told you that that you're finished? Who told you you're no good any longer? You're maybe having a divorce, going through a divorce, or you're going through a relationship, a, a, a breakup, and you're thinking, my life is over. I want to ask you, who told you that? <sighs> Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 says this, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways and everything you do and everywhere you go and every day that you have a relationship with, make sure that it fits with God's ways because God's ways are perfect. And when you will walk in his ways, I want you to to know that he will make your paths straight. For we know, come on, For we know that in all things, God works for what? The good of those who love him. That means the bad and the ugly. Because if it wasn't bad and ugly, sorry guys, if it wasn't bad and ugly, God wouldn't have to work in it for good. It would be good. But our life is not guaranteed to be like that. It's almost guaranteed to be Guaranteed to be the other way. When we are going through a struggle, God's promise is this. He, if you love him, then he will work in it to bring you good. It's time up. (laughs) I want you to get on your feet. Come on, everybody on your feet. If you're sitting far away from somebody, then get close to somebody. High five them and say, God will work it out. Do you believe it? Oh, come on. Do you believe it? Yes. Yes. Let me pray with you. Father, we're so grateful. We know we don't deserve it, but you love us and we thank you for that. And for those who are going through that tough time right now, help them to know that you're going to work in it. If they will love you, they're going to help it to work out, to become good. It won't take the thing away if it's already happened, but they have a life in front of them that they can celebrate life with you because of your love and because of strength and power and forgiveness that you will show to them. 
thank you, Father. You love us even though we don't deserve it. And we thank you that you have made us your children. Bless those of us who have gathered here today and meet their needs as you have promised. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.